Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me across the desk, she doesn't need the Holy Spirit because she illumines herself. It's Regan Lovett. Regan, thank you for joining us once again on Not Quite Great Books. Thanks for being Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> if you stick around to the end, audience, you can hear the other intros that I tried for Regan. Um, there, there's quite a lot this time. All right, Regan, we've got... Today, Young Pope episode three. We're going to get right into it. This is going to be a long episode, very out of character for not quite great books. Uh, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Paolo Sorrentino, Stefano Rulli, and Pepe Fiore, and uh, David Zaslav should pay his writers. All right, can you read the IMDb summary for us? Yes. Uh, in the wake of the Pope's controversial homily, Sister Mary is thrust into the spotlight, and Voyello is determined to discover the Pope's weaknesses. All right, typically non-specific uh, IMDb summary, but I think maybe one way to approach this episode, Regan, is to discuss a scene that happens towards the end of the episode, right? So a lot of politicking, a lot of shenanigans, uh, as you pointed out before we started recording, right? The politicking, the like dialogue of people talking in rooms is a bigger chunk of this episode, perhaps, than the other ones. Yeah. I struggled to get through this episode. It was not, it's not my favorite okay. so far. All right. Uh, so we get this scene, though, like everybody is trying to figure out, A, what the fuck is going on with Pope Lenny? B, how can they actually do something to try to respond to his, um, like, sternness and his mystique? And also trying to figure out what to do about the church in the meantime. And so we have Voyello showing up in the rain to Spencer um, mm-hmm. to be like, come help me figure out what the fuck to do. I'm begging you to take on a role in the church, et cetera, et cetera. And then we get Calton Aceta, like sticking his uh, cane to open the door <laughs> a little bit wider because Voyello had not come alone. Um, and so they, they have this scene where Calton Aceta does this thing where he's like holding his arms out, not quite at his side. Right. Um, in the Lenny Jesus pose, but like holding his arms out in front of him. Like he's extremely old. He himself is like a frail or fragile person. Right. Um, managed to do this without a SIG or his inhaler. So we're impressed by him. Props. Right. Read some true godly powers. And he goes into this whole spiel about the lifting the weight of God. Or he asks Michael Spencer, like, you know, what do we know about the weight of God? And he says it's very fragile. And then Kaltzana Seda says, you know, the vocation of something to the effect of the vocation of the priest is to help fortify God, to try to do some of that lifting of the weight of God, and that they do that until they die. Mm-hmm. So what did you make of that particular scene? And then how do you think that kind of reveals other things about the rest of the episode? Okay. Um, well, one, Kaltzana Seda remains um, my favorite minor character. Great. I do think he's the badass. Minor character of the season. He's the best. As someone who also is rather dependent on an inhaler, <laughs> I we love to see it. Um, so I um, watched this scene and thought, this is like what this all of this politicking has been about, is that all of these people have these high-ranking jobs and none of them know what they're supposed to do mm. now that they have a pope who is effectively just running his own show. Um, so I, um, always took it as like, or I had to watch this episode three times through to like get it, I guess. Um, so I'm, I think that 
there's something there about how none of them are really up to lifting the Mm. weight of God. Um, And I'm wondering how this connects with the silence that God gives Lenny. Um, Maybe or maybe not. We don't know. (laughs) Um, And then also speaks to just like, okay, if we're fortifying God, then how are we doing this? Um, which is thinking about all of the non-godly things that we watched in the episode opener last <laughs> last episode. Um, so those are my thoughts for the moment of like that scene and how none of them are truly equipped to be doing this work. They've gone into this in some ways or risen through the rings for the wrong reasons. Yeah. There's a couple things that I want to pick up on. One is that Oddly, like when you said that, it strikes it strikes me that Kalten Aseda, and perhaps because it's like he's older and has seen everything, is in some ways the most equipped to deal with Lenny. Like of all mm, the people mm-hmm. who have one on one or two on one conversations with him in this episode, his goes the best. Exactly, like his is the clearest. His is like the least um, like apologetic or uh, unfurled or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, like it's the most put together challenge to Lenny, mm-hmm. um, and the most kind of confident confrontation delays. And he then, of course, Carlton Aceta is one who does the whole lifting the weight of God right. um, thing at the end. So, like, maybe he's the only one that's slightly up to the task? I mean, Mans knows his uh, flaws and tries to rectify them <laughs> with the alternating the SIG and the yeah. inhaler. Brilliant. But clearly he knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a read on the situation. He yeah. knows who he is. So there's there's that aspect of it, and I think that like that's a really beautiful character moment for Captain Aseda, as you point out. And then also just like the the way that that whole scene is shot, and then particularly the way that Captain Aseda is shot, I actually think there's like some almost like occult or mystery energy mm. going on. It's like a lot of the the lighting, um, some of the camera work, the like surprise uh, visitor to Spencer, mm-hmm. like invokes almost like this is a seance vibes that are happening. Mm, um, true. So I don't know. That's I don't know what to do with that. But like that was just something that struck me watching watching the scene. No, it's true. And like I mean, there is something to be said. Like I know right now on TikTok, what's going viral, at least on my for you page, is the concept of like a. Italian folk ma- magic. Ooh, okay. Um, and Calton Nassetta is our only Italian cardinal that we know of so far, Voyello. really. Or other than Voyello. Yeah. Right. Voyello obviously worships Naples. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe this is my headcanon is that uh, Calton Nassetta became a priest in order to tap into some mysticism. Maybe his his nana um, taught him some Italian <laughs> folk magic. Um, We're going to add that as a bonus rectory prediction, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, there's a lot about, I think the, that scene that ha- feels very much like, oh, we could delve into some Catholic mysticism, mm-hmm. which Catholicism doesn't often do. Yeah. Um, that is something that, um, Catholics get a lot of shit on from Protestant <laughs> factors. Like, um, I'm not even joking. Someone who I went to high school with who was like Pentecostal or whatever said that I was there. I was pagan because I was baptized Catholic and Catholics view their patron saints as minor deities, which, um, do as you will with that phrase, <laughs> listener. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Italian folk magic has to do with patron saints. I'll look into it. Um, so I an extra homework for the show. I right. appreciate it very much. Yes. Um, so, uh, 
it is definitely always seen as mystic, but when I think of an Abrahamic religion that goes yeah. into actual mysticism and accepts that, it's Judaism, yeah. really, mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, the evangelical, Protestant, Lutheran, the Lutherans, um, all reject sort of mysticism in some ways of of the mysteries of God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it also strikes me, as you're talking now, as you were talking earlier, that as if in this, like, scene with Carlton Aceta, that Voyello, Spencer, and to lesser extent Carlton Aceta himself are kind of reminded of the vocation of priesthood and its relationship to mm. God himself in right. a kind of renewed way. And thus, in a fucked up way, Lenny's whole sternness, mystery, absence uh, spiel, danger and frightening God and all of that is kind of working and that it has forced at least these Mm. couple of characters to reconfront the actual purpose that they believe or have ascribed to themselves in the like vocation in terms of a life and the most deepest possible way um, that they have chosen for themselves or Mm -hmm. were turned on to or found themselves on or whatever. Right, right, right. And his, and it really also just questions like the ability, what do priests do, especially now that we're in the current society we're in. I think one comment from Sister Mary that I think is really interesting that we'll probably talk about a little later um, is her pointing out about, like, the population of priests that they get um, and how you interact with this, uh, the mystique and mystery of God and all of that in the face of a modern world with smartphones and the Holy Trinity of Napoli. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, like, to that point, the Voyello in particular, but not only Voyello, like, they're on their phones, like, you know, to not much less than, like, you or I would be on our phones as we're right. walking around or waiting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, and, of course, they're doing that in the Vatican. They're doing that um, in their, like, full vestments. Right. So the, the contrast of that is, I think, heightened mm-hmm. um, in the show. But, like, they're, yeah, this, like, they're trying to deal with, like, what is modern or contemporary and then what is the, you know, uh, Peter Rock of the church, et cetera, like long tradition Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Lenny and his shenanigans this episode? So how is Lenny trying to hold up or failing at holding up or how is he relating to lifting the weight of God? Well, one thing that occurred to me is um, thinking about the weight of God is that when he does like the Jesus pray with the the crucifix idea, I wonder if that's him also trying to like lift something, um, you know, is he lifting himself or is he lifting the weight of God or like, I don't how know. Is there? I, maybe, maybe both at once. Yeah. Um, he, both and is Danielle. Yeah. Both and. Yes. Um, because I don't know. He's also doing this with a lit cigarette, which I guess, back <laughs> to. but he's like really begging and being very mm-hmm. pernicious in this moment. Yes. Um, and is he like literally trying to lift himself to the Lord? I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's a hymn that's hymn lyrics that go that way. <laughs> there's also, he's, so you said, you know, Lenny is like holding up the way of the world and my mind went to Creed and like Scott Stack <laughs> with his arms wide open, like on the fucking cliff. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and so now, now there's like some fanfic about Lenny and Scott Stapp, I think, to, sure. to create. I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, is he literally trying to do it? Is he trying to, with his kind of maybe atheism replace mm-hmm. God? Is this why he insists on being faceless? 
all questions to think about. Yeah, because there's Lenny's own fragility that in some ways is similar to, like, Captain Asetta talks about God's way is fragile, right. right? Or he and Spencer do. And, like, Lenny himself is an extremely fragile creature, being, yes. whatever we want to call him. And, you know, this is one of the fundamental dichotomies of the show is, like, you take somebody who is fragile or whose, like, self or psyche is split in some way or, um, you know, just totally lacking in self-certainty or something like that. And you – they wrap themselves in something extreme, something stern, in the rights and orders of the Catholic Church in Lenny's case, but in, like, some sort of absolute and, in this case, eternal structure of mm-hmm. religion that even if they can't fully believe helps to provide some of that, like, shoring up of the fragility of their own life. But then, like, Caltanissetta's whole spiel is about how, A, like, that's not the priest's job, right? The priest's job is to, like, hold that fragility for others, not mm. as, like, a self-salvation right, 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 right. sort of move. That's that's just not what Lenny is supposed to be doing as the Pope. Right. Supposed to be leading, inspiring others, and helping market the church. <laughs> Crucially. <laughs> yes. A crucial, crucial thing. He's going to bankrupt the church. <laughs> if he doesn't put his face on yeah. something. Run out of priests, bankrupt the church, you know. Right. Uh, run out of parishioners. Everyone's going to convert to Episcopalianism. <laughs> Spencer kind of calls Lenny out on this in a certain way in a couple different points, right? Like this is some like really beautifully acted scenes between James Cromwell and Jude Law here. Um, and particularly this like long confrontation they have where Lenny gives what is in some ways his response to, or like his picking up on the idea of God's fragility having to be held up, mm-hmm. which is he wants to go with the whole absence is presence thing, which we mm-hmm. saw of course in the right. preceding episode as right. well, but what she gets into an actual, what he thinks is theological, but what Spencer points out is personal disagreement and argument, mm-hmm. um, or a set of belief structures with regards to this notion of absence is presence. Spencer is telling him that that being Lenny's theological framework for running the church is really him projecting literally his own familiar break broken familial right, bond, kinship right. bond with his parents as the paradigm for the billion Catholics in the world. Right. And it's just interesting um, because, like, wow, this is a great um, execution in some ways of Lenny <laughs> of second wave <laughs> feminism wow. with the personal being political. Mm-hmm. Um, but you I bring that back later. Oh, possibly. <laughs> um, but I also think, like, the fact that his confrontational style always happens in his office in, like, a controlled environment also just, I think, shows more of Lenny's fragile state of being and that, you know, he refuses to interact with the press or with the public. Um, Like, how is he supposed to give the freaking papal mass if he refuses to, like, go out onto, I forget what that fancy balcony is called. Right. <laughs> um, to do that. I also think that he is also showing himself as at his weakest here because he's really not the one getting a ton done. Um, so there's the mention of like God overwhelms and frightens. This is Lenny overwhelmed and frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and he chooses to enact that by like bullying um, other people, um, which we'll come back to another in a moment. Um, but like, and he's overwhelmed and frightened like the child that yes. he is in his like dream or vision right. when he faints. Yes. Um, 
So again, going back to that first episode, is he still a child amongst a bunch, <laughs> like crawling through other children to deal with things as in his life as a pope? Um, what a case of arrested development. Freud would have a field day. <laughs> um, and, and also like Lenny himself as confidence game, hmm. which raises the question of like, is the Catholic Church a, ca- a confidence game and for whom? Mm-hmm. Or to what extent is the role of the Pope or the role of the priesthood, right, for Catherine Aceta and Spencer and Boyello, right, to um, even if it's on some level a confidence game, to like project that um, certainty, like shepherd uh, style pastoral care mm-hmm. for those so that they don't experience the fright, the mystery, the overwhelming, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Because like Lenny, what he says to Spencer that especially sets Spencer off is not only absence is presence, right? But that people need sacrifice and suffering to find God, right? Mm-hmm. That you only find God in the dark of night, right? right? Is what he tells to Spencer. And like, that's where Spencer like doubles down on being really upset at Lenny. Mm-hmm. And goes into the accusations of the personal is political. True. And the confidence game thing is like is I think also speaking to Lenny's opening spiel to Tommaso is there like sitting at the on the roof mm. of the of the mm-hmm. Vatican like looking at the stars right so there Lenny narrates what happened during the conclave to get him elected right you know where he's like looking around at like these people who are supposed to be wise or supposed to be good popes right like you know please God don't let it be Spencer please God don't let it be Dussolier right me not him me not him right, right. and then he starts you know talking about like you Holy Spirit right doesn't matter if you think that I'm weak, if it doesn't matter if you think that I'm a scoundrel, it doesn't matter if you think that I'm up for the task, or he says, I can be useful to you, God, right, that, uh, you know, I prayed so hard I nearly shit my pants and had to glue my <laughs> ass to the chair uh, to avoid the mess, right, and that he, uh, you know, that is what happened to get him elected, right, the, like, right. Not the machinations of the Avuelo or of the other, like, members of the Curia, right, but that, like, the Holy Spirit... Lenny believes, but also Voyello kind of believes, but neither of them believe at the same time that that came in to, like, illumine the Cardinals for Lenny's election. Mm. All good points, of course. Of Lenny, yeah. Is he joking? I don't know. Right. That's that's a great question. Like, is he joking when he tells that to Tommaso? Because he does say his jokes contain the truth. Of course, as you would point out, like, a reversal of episode one. Yes, this is true. Um, I... Don't know if he's joking at this moment. We know that Voyello did not do any machinations on this. So who, but who the heck would? Like, it's like kind of the question of like, did they all really think he was going to be the puppet? I don't know. Um, so I, it just is interesting to me that like, also when Lenny, I think only seeks out God when things are not going his way versus like, you know, a good prayerful, pious person would thank God for their (laughs) wins also. Um, And he has yet to really be like, thank you, God, for bestowing this upon me, (laughs) which I think shows his real um, thoughts on on God, Mm -hmm. which is that God is there as his emergency lifeline, (laughs) not there as an everyday person in his life. Right. It's, yeah, his lifeline for, like, his own megalomania. Yes. Right? Like, he says, you know, uh, I believe in myself more than I believe in God. Yes. He tells Tommaso. And, like, the rhythm of that confession to Tommaso is also, I thought, like, quite impressive um, as an act of writing, as an, mm-hmm. an, an, an 
and in the acting, right? So it's the, you know, I believe in myself more than God. Lenny, you have a wound yourself. Fuck, right? And like right. that, like, that he was so overwhelmed by the rhythm of what he's saying to Tommaso that like the only possible end is like a, almost like ecstatic and like the literal meaning of the term, like being outside of oneself, mm. um, like fuck at the end of that. Right, right. But then as you identified earlier, the next time we see Lenny, he's praying for forgiveness for saying right. all of that shit. right. Um, God's only there when Lenny needs him to be. Mm-hmm. Or if he's mm-hmm. feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely like showing his weaknesses in this episode. Yeah. Um, but insisting via Sister Mary to the press that he is infallible. Yes. But, but no, he is not. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. But that's what megalomaniacs do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like, it's like a megalomania is an attempt to like heal his own broken psyche and soul. Right. I mean... Which is not uncommon, right? No, it's not. Um, further to discuss his megalomania and, like, yes. the bullying he does, uh, he re- reassigns... Such a, such a bully. He really is. Um, uh, Ozalins. Um, he reassigns uh, this preacher, uh, or this priest, in order to... I'm not really... I guess that was thing, uh, something where I was not sure why. So in the previous episode... Um, Tommaso tells Lenny that Ozalinch has been like joking about Sister Mary being the actual Pope. Mm. And so he gets removed from his, he gets replaced by uh, Maguire as the like keeper of the Vatican Museum. Oh, okay, Um, gotcha. And then here he's like superfluous and doesn't doesn't want him to be wasted, so he's going to waste his talents more in Ketchikan, Alaska. Right, okay, okay. That, okay, that I have not caught on to. Um, I guess from last episode. So like the the bullying though is like so they he calls in Ozolinch. Uh, right, Ozolinch's like so excited to be yeah. in the to, <laughs> to have an audience with the Pope. Yeah. Um, then he plays the globe is fucking weird. It right? is a, it is a weird globe. Um, it makes me deeply unsettled. <laughs> what about it makes you unsettled? Um, one that it's black and white, yeah. but that also represents Lenny's worldview. Ooh, okay, very nice. Yeah. Two degrees in English. Um, (laughs) It's also weird to me that, like, the cities that are labeled on it are not always, like, capital cities. Like, we see, um, you know, so um, Oslinch, you know, spins the globe and puts his finger down on San Francisco. And we can see, like... Because he had peaked. Right. Um, And we see, like, all, like, these, like, Salem is marked in Oregon and not Portland. Like... kind of odd city placements in my mind of when we get the close-ups of it. Um, it's also lit from within, yeah. which is kind of weird. That's the most unsettling aspect of it to me. Okay. For me, it's the black and white. Um, but yeah, the, the lit from within is kind of interesting. Um, I think... <laughs> And I'm wondering if this can go back to, like, some obscure flat earther stuff. <laughs> but hear me out. Hear me out. Please. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, as really a good um, approximations of historical dates and such. But, podcast, no but it's interesting to me that former maps of the universe portrayed Earth as being in the center, right, with everything else moving around it. Mm-hmm. We know that to be the opposite of the mm-hmm. truth now, is that we're moving around everything else mm-hmm. mostly. Um, and that like earth was like covered by a sheet of some kind when at night that blocked the sun from coming in. <laughs> this is what they taught you at undergrad? No. <laughs> the history of flat earthism. No. I took my two science classes, which was <laughs> environmental biology, which I got a C plus in. 
nice. Only because I found the professor very strange, and then I did really well in intro to environmental studies. Great. Not a flat earther. Great. I wasn't accusing you. I just got to set the record straight. <laughs> you can get a great scientific uh, education at Catholic yes, college. absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so um, part of me thinks is that is this the reverse of God's design, which is that God chose to light up the earth, right? Versus Lenny's globe, the earth is lit from within. Mm. So I don't know. Is this a further symbol of his... Um, fallibility in God or God's fallibility in Lenny. Yeah, or that like like the globe, Lenny is not lit by God, but mm. like has only his own megalomania or like full right, self-confidence right. and huh. assuredness or something like that. Hmm, interesting. I can try to do symbols too. Good job. <laughs> I'm not as good at it, but <laughs> I can try. <laughs> it's okay. So Ozilinch, like, Lenny's like, all right, you know, put your finger on the globe, close your eyes, right? And uh, he, Ozilinch is like, oh, San Francisco, which I, I, I'm assuming we're supposed to read as, like, Ozilinch is gay and would like to spend time in San Francisco. I don't know. But Lenny is out to persecute gays. I'm not sure. I kind of wondered if it was a reference to Sister Act. <laughs> which takes place in San Francisco. (laughs) I think that's, you know, both those are both possible readings and they can exist at the same time. Thank you. Um, Um, But San Francisco, I think, is where the Jesuits are headquartered in the States. Yeah, I mean, there are are a couple of Jesuit schools in in or right around San Francisco, so that would make sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, Oh, I don't think Ozilinch is necessarily giving him Jesuit-y vibes. No, no, he's not. Um, And Lenny's like, oh, no, actually, it looks like God meant for you to go to Ketchikan, Alaska. Yep. Um, Which is interesting choice um, that it has the the first of it starts with catch. Like, you're catching this break, or Uh, maybe you're caught. Oh. Um, Oh. Well, it's my read on Ketchikan, Alaska. But, you know, a nice town of 8,000. Seaside. (laughs) I mean, and like Lenny, this is like exile, right? In the classic Mm -hmm. sense, right? He's exiling Ozilinj. Yep. so that he only can quasi remain in the in the papal community. Yep. So I think maybe the last thing about Lenny and the fragility of himself and the fragility of God to think about is the dream that he has of his parents, mm. um, of him in Venice, not in Rome, right? Because we know from Sister Mary that his parents were like on their way to Venice when they dropped him off, right? Um, at the at the orphanage, and he is in like. His papal clothing, right? But as a as kid, a child, a little bit older, maybe twelve, years, yeah, than when he was dropped off at the orphanage, yeah. and he's just like following them through the empty, like totally empty night streets mm-hmm. of Venice mm-hmm. until they get on a boat uh, on the canals and ride away as they stare at him. Yep, and he asks them, "What's their name?" Yeah, and they don't answer. Nope. Like God doesn't answer him. But, and this I may be my overreading, but like, what is a podcast for if not that? Um, do you think that they're trying to make Lenny's dad in the dream give him, give him some Jesus vibes? Mm. Like hippie Jesus vibes? Hippie white Jesus vibes? I think yeah, so. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. I can see it. Um, and his mother is like almost angelic in the way right. that she's dressed. Um, yep. mm-hmm. So I think. Wearing a costume very similar to Esther's. Yes. Ooh. Oh, wow. I didn't catch that. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got to catch a Ken all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here again. Um, and the symbols and young folk. Wow, and a pun. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 
I, yeah, I think that, um, is him. I think the more we learn, the more, like, I feel like I learn about Lenny. It's like that he is a kid in a lot of ways. Um, he seems very insecure with his youth. Um, you know, with the fact that he has no parents, they literally get on a boat to get away from him Uh (laughs) and he knows nothing about them. I also think it's interesting that he was wearing his papal getup, which to me says that he, um, has always maybe wanted to be Pope, or maybe mm-hmm. he thought if he were Pope, mm-hmm. they would come back to claim him because they're clearly like big party or fame seeker people. Yeah. Um, or maybe for, to him, like, well, if I get to Rome and be the Pope, I can go find them in Venice. Right. But there, there are a lot cheaper ways to go find people in Venice. <laughs> than to become the Pope? Well, you get a, you get some, like, nice slippers out of the deal, some good True. jewelry. Oh, man. Um, some, like, nice headwear that's on its way. Yeah, but also... You people gonna... drip is real. <laughs> okay, John. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I think um, quite an interesting dream. Lenny's dreams are just, I mean, I was surprised there was no radio in the dream, frankly, mm, though. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, maybe his, his parents could have been carrying a like, transistor radio or something. Yeah. It would have been interesting um, touch. Kind of, kind of surprised. Yeah. Because um, that was such a feature in episode one was yeah. the radio. And he does have part of his conversation with Calton Aceta is about Lenny as an orphan, right? Right. And, like, and, and orphans are never young. Yes. <laughs> I mean, which I guess he's trying to say you have to grow up fast if you mm-hmm. don't have adults around you. Mm-hmm. But he's also like in an orphanage and has adults taking care of mm-hmm. him. And to your point, like, is himself stunted or stuck at the age around when he was or within a couple years of when he was dropped off at the orphan- right. orphanage in his like emotional development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How's Esther embodying this lifting the weight of the world? Like, <laughs> this is slash, not doing it real Esther, well. Esther like finally gets to come into like become more a bit more of a character right. uh, in this episode. Um, I do also think it's really interesting that she's Esther, which is a really not a common name for Catholic women. But Esther is Hebrew for star, which I think is interesting um, also. But anyways, um, so she's not holding up the weight of God real well because Lenny, like, passes out in front of her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so can't hold up the weight so of God. So she cannot her. hold it up because he, like, is much larger than her and she's, like, failing under trying to keep him upright. But I also wondered if her longing out in St. Peter's Square is her um, trying to be, to show, like, her lifting weight of God. Like, she wants something or needs something from God as she just stares at the yeah. obelisk in the middle. Um, stares or, or is, up at Lenny. Right. right. Like, in the papal apartment. Right. Um, just, like, and Lenny's looking back, right? He's yes. returning from, they can't actually see one another, but, like, returning her gaze. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I don't know, she's, like, also, and, and that way she, like, is lifting up Lenny, because she's, like, the one believer still out there in the square right. after the homily. She loves, she loved the homily yes. also, but it's not enough to no. love. No. Which is interesting, because she, as we learned last uh, episode, you know, really um, doesn't view love as godliness in some ways, Um but maybe her literal guard of the Pope husband isn't holy enough for her. I don't know. Um, but she, yeah, she wants or needs something. And then she's like so ecstatic to go into the papal apartments and meet Lenny. Um, and then he promptly passes out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think there's also, so we find out that, um, Valente, right. Had like 
made a move on her in the past and then like mm-hmm. literally groups her as they are walking t- towards the right. like central enclosure of the Vatican. Um, and then the way that like they block and shoot Lenny talking to Esther, the way that he's kind of pacing around her in a circle is like the way that you would shoot a male villain who's about to commit some form of violence right, against right. a woman and a, or how you or, or how you would shoot like like a big cat trying to mm-hmm. get a mouse. Yeah. Um yes, yeah, so it's it's very predatory. Um but I also wonder Different like kind of right. It just makes me wonder as to Esther's goals, which is that she doesn't mm. seem driven by the um like Catholic need for motherhood of women. She doesn't seem driven enough by God to join the, uh, the sisterhood. Right. Um, so what's she doing? Yeah. But she gets invited personally into the papal apartments mm-hmm. um, and is by many means like thrilled to be there. And other than Sophia, is this like the only lay person that Lenny has interacted with? Other than, like, his servants, yeah. Yeah. There's something about Lenny's, I mean, Lenny's idealization, I guess, of Esther, Mm -hmm. right? Or that, like, Esther's longing for Lenny on some level, like, replaces the love he thought his mother should have offered towards him or something. Mm -hmm. So, like, but then there's some confusion as to, is Esther a mother figure and or is she a sex object for Lenny, right? And, like, how is she, or how is he trying to draw both of those like needs or what he perceives right. as needs. Well, it's interesting of. that you say that because I feel like Lenny in this episode, um, as will be confirmed in record <laughs> later, um, does have some experience, but he, it's interesting to me that he says that he was like goofing around for a week in California mm-hmm. with someone he describes as like a, it's like a homely young homely, one. Homely, but yeah. beautiful. Right. Homely, but beautiful. Um, and normally when we say homely about someone, like we don't mean that they're good looking um but homely if you are not a native speaker of english you would be like oh what a pleasant thing to be someone like like home um i don't know are women home to lenny because he only knows sister mary um but then he rejects like the homeliest of homely women which is sister (laughs) beachy i hope someone hired her for a great job (laughs) and is treating her like a queen um and you need lots bossy for you right that sounds great um i'm ready for my dinner it's four (laughs) o'clock um so i i thought it was really interesting though that again like i mentioned earlier um his mom shows up in an outfit very similar um to what esther is wearing in this episode um, and then also this was like the first click to me that Esther was the woman who's taking the children skating around, um, yeah, in the, the first episode, right. In the very first episode around the helicopter pad, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting that, she, um, that's her, is it her job to look after children? I guess. <laughs> Does she have a job? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, clearly. I mean, she seems to be like some sort of school slash after school, like activities coordinator for the children of. Swiss guards and like other people right, who are right, not the right. not the clergy. Mm. Interesting. Which like puts her in both an insider and outsider position, right? In the Vatican, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. She's like on Vatican grounds, right? With right. The children who are also on Vatican grounds. So true. Yeah, it is an interesting role that she has. 
So you started out the episode reading by saying that, like, the politicking really was emphasized in this episode. Mm -hmm. And maybe you think there's a connection between that and this lifting the weight of God business. Right. Well, because no one, I think it's clear that no one here knows what they're doing. (laughs) A question of, like, what is, okay, well, we've got this new pope and he's got his agenda. How do we fit onto the agenda? Um, Because, again, I found this episode really hard to follow um, and really struggled through it. Um, But I think it's interesting that we learned that um, in the first episode, the four cardinals, including... um, King, uh, uh, King Captain <laughs> um, they're all predicting that Voyello um, had rigged the election so that way it would be Lenny. And then in this episode, Voyello's like, I didn't do that. Yeah. Like, that was not me. Um, but then insists to Lenny that he did. Right. Um, which I think is very interesting. Um, because there's like nothing to be said for like a bunch of white men going like, Oh, we have money and power. Now we don't know what to do. <laughs> Which, I mean, typically, how are they surprised? <laughs> it's just what white men do. It's nothing. Um, except for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty as charged. Um, so I think it's like a question of also like, what are they accomplishing under this new agenda? Which is that they seem to be alienating parishioners <laughs> and yeah. other Catholics. Um, it's, it's causing problems. Um, and, um, lay people are getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the press. Right. Because the press is begging also Sophia for just one photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lenny's like, no, no. Um, and to clarify the homily, right? Yes. Like, what do you need to clarify? Like, Lenny's like, absence, mystery, frightening God. Yeah. Done. I thought that was interesting. No one did anything allegedly to elect Lenny. Um, aside from Lenny, who prayed until he shit his pants almost. Um, and the Holy Spirit answered. And the Holy Spirit, I guess, answered. Um I don't know. Do they do anything in the Vatican about this? Not really. I don't know. Yeah. There's Voyello. I th- one of the questions that this line, I think, raises that maybe Voyello is confronting himself with is, like, why does Voyello want all of this power? Is it solely for the power, like, the opulent wealth, mm-hmm, the 6,500 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. square foot apartment with tapestries and paintings all over the place? Um, but, like, also Spencer is obviously in a, you know, but with the alcoholism, with the suicide attempt in the first episode is clearly in a place of, like, what actually is my accomplishment or my responsibility mm-hmm. or my purpose? Um, or how could I, like, take some responsibility right. for people's souls that we're supposed to be looking after and like, right. has it all been a game to me? Right. And I think it's also just an interesting point of like, um, Voy- or Kalanisetta says like, that's our, the priest's role is to hold the fragility yeah. and the weight of God. And really like the people that we're dealing with in the Vatican are not the people doing that kind of work. Like how many of them have a parish of their own that they <laughs> go and preach to every week? Um, Oslinch is going to have one in Alaska. Right. Oslinch is going to have one. Desoulier arguably sort of does. Um, And all the different roles. How does, I mean, how do priests even function in this current world? I don't know. They really have to cultivate a lot of hobbies, (laughs) Um, I guess. Um, Which also brings up the Kurtwell case. Yes. Which was first mentioned in the previous episode as Mm -hmm. something that Lenny was going to have to do something about. And then becomes one of the central... 
um, like pure politicking questions. Um, It's when is Lenny going to like give his speech to the clergy, to the congregation of the uh, clergy and then so they can go home and what is he going to do about the Kurtwell case and we learn this is someone very powerful, a bishop or whatever cardinal, very mm-hmm. powerful in the US um, who's been accused seemingly of like many different instances of sexual assault yes. of boys um, but also is powerful, also provides a lot of um, his seminaries, provide a lot of the priests for mm-hmm. the US um, and Lenny is both insisting that this is important and something he wants to take responsibility for, but also something that like he's just going to deal with in due time or later. Right. These are his two favorite phrases to Boyello in this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. particular episode. So, you know, this is, I think, something that's the show, and you know, I don't feel bad spoiling this, like the question of the Catholic Church's tolerance and or encouragement of sexual abuse, like becomes more and more a central plot point. Hmm. Um, okay in this show and thus something for us to think about how it's interacting with some of the theological or metaphysical or emotional right. components of it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, cause my takeaway was that, okay, like Lenny clearly I think is knows the political pressure to fix this. Yeah. Um, but as sister Mary points out, like 40% of North American priests come out of these, um, uh, his seminaries, which, would put into question every single priest that he's ever taught or trained. Um, I also think it's interesting that she brings up the fact that this is not something that people, they don't join the church easily, um, which is something Lenny does have to be concerned about as Pope is maintaining, (laughs) maintaining the CEO-ness of it all. (laughs) Right. Catholic church is business, just like we all are. Um, And the fact that by wiping out one person, this is like just under half of the priests in North America. Um, that's like a big problem. How are you supposed to preach to the people if you don't have everyday parish priests? Yeah. Um, and at the same time that like the rampant regime and upholding of a regime of sexual abuse also has and continues to drive right. away people from the Catholic Church. Exactly. So it's a me- it's a message to the Catholic people that he doesn't care in the fact that he doesn't get something done about this quicker. Um, you would think as a someone who was at one point a very vulnerable boy, um, he would probably uh, have like some stake in the game, but he does not. Um, and so instead he's like, he gets quite upset about initial choice, right. Of who's going to go. Cause it's a lay person. Yes. Right. Um, and Lenny insists he will personally appoint somebody to yes. take on this case. Yes. Any predictions on who that'll be? Mm, I feel like DeSoulier comes to mind okay. just to get him off of, out of, out of Rome. Systemary kind of makes sense, but now she's like back with him, so I'm not sure if she would. He would then send her away so quickly. Hmm. I mean, we all know what would happen if Calton said quit. <laughs> he just beat him up. Calton said he can't get on that plane. No, he can't. <laughs> he can't. But if he could go, he would just probably kick that guy's ass. Um, that's my prediction. It's <laughs> so we're gonna watch Calton instead of punch someone. Um. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Who do you think he... Well, you would know who he's <laughs> yeah, know. Who do you think he's going to send? <laughs> I, know, I know the answer to that question. Um, we will leave that one hanging. All right. 
And I think the last point um, to make here before we turn to the segments is that, as you pointed out before the show, Lenny's whole ideology of absence is presence means that he cannot be the one to go lift up the weight of God right. in public, but he sends Sister Mary. He sends instead. Sister Mary to do that. And she and he sends Sister Mary to do a lot more things that Voyello would typically do. Yes. Um, and I just think it's like, he just like has this continual thing where he seems to like make women do work for him. Um, and like, again, the like creating of this mystique and absent God, I still firmly believe that he's playing with fascist fire. It's going to, things are going to go poorly. Yeah. Um, but yes, he continually, um, he sends sister Mary, which is interesting though, that he sends sister Mary because like oftentimes I think the people we notice in public who are visibly Catholic are almost always very quickly sisters, which I think is interesting that he's so upset about sending a lay person to Kurtwell, but he sends what would be a very familiar figure to many Catholics worldwide out to deal with the press, um, about his latest homily also. But the press's only response is, who are you? And then yes. she says, Sister, Sister Mary. Yes. And they say, who is Sister Mary? Right. Yeah. Which is just a, a great moment of interaction with the yes. hostile press. <laughs> right. All right. Good for her. Should we head to the segments? Sounds good. All right. We're in the rectory. Regan, I think you already want to take some victory laps within the Yes, this is true. Rectory. I win. Um, we learned rectory about... victory. Yeah. Learned about Lenny's sexuality as a young man. He kind of interested in uh, like a young the young woman from California. Um, however, I still predict that um, he's going to, there's going to be some sort of queerness. Um, I also, my other win um, was uh, learning about Esther and he's kind of like enchanted with her. Yeah. And I think your specific prediction last episode, if I remember, is that Esther would be in love with Lenny. Yes. And she clearly is yes. like, there, there's some feelings happening. Absolutely. Um, so my new rectory predictions, um, are going to be that Lenny, the reason why he's just hell-bent on expelling any of the homosexual priests is because he himself is also homosexual. Um, I predict that because this is going to get so stringent, he's going to get outed, and it's going to be a problem. I also predict that his strictness, um, as dropped with in this episode, um, to a very specific vision and dogma of Catholic of Catholicism is going to lead to an assassin, an assassination attempt upon Lenny because he just, he's too cruel to be the Pope or whatever. All right. Bold predictions. You love to see it. Um, We'll see if any of these visions come true and let's head to gloss. I think we have to start with Gutierrez. Yes. So we find out that Gutierrez is living quarters in the Vatican yeah. Um, he's got like a bed pressed up against the wall. Right. Uh, he's got a bunch of stuffies Yep. and a bunch of booze. Yep. So how did you respond to that revelation um. <laughs> that is enforced by Voyello having snuck in? Right, and uh, is sitting on the bed. Yes. Um, okay, so one thing that I, my initial reaction was to laugh. Yeah. Um, of course, like, that is a funny scene. The show is hilarious. The show is funny. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because Voyello... Or, um, no, Guti- Okay, so Gutierrez has this huge collection of stuffed animals, some of which are like really large, also, yeah. mm-hmm. which is just makes it more comical. Um, it's Carefully a- arrayed on the bed, right. right? Which is something I think of. I would associate with like a cis woman. Like women are gifted stuffed animals all the time. Um, so I'm kind of asking, like, where did he get all of these? Um, love that he's like so in touch with maybe some femininity, um, and then all and of his childhood, inner childhood, right? right? 
Um, so, but all the booze was like, well, we know that he's a good man. Um, you know, people view him as being essentially good, which kind of makes sense that he has all these innocent little stuffed animals. Um, but he's not so good because he's clearly an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was some interesting things. Um, we did not learn anything more about his mother who, um, doesn't shame wickedness. Uh, but he has many conversations with the Pope this episode. Um, which I think is interesting. Um, both before and after his confrontation with Foyello with the deer on his lap. Ow. Yeah. Um, Made all the more pointed or more charged because Gutierrez and Tomasaro and Sister Mary are the only people that Lenny will actively confide in. Right. Um, to a lesser extent, Spencer maybe, but like that seems to be breaking. Right. Or has already broken. Right. So there's... He and uh, Gutierrez have a conversation before Boyolo confronts him, and then at the very end of the episode, and Gutierrez, it's like Javier Camara is like, you can see the strain in his face um, in that final conversation when they're sitting mm-hmm. on a bench in this beautiful garden on the Vatican right. grounds um, about what he can or cannot encourage Lenny to tell him because he feels like he has to spy on him for Boyolo. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's this like self-preservation question mark instinct, mm-hmm. um, or self-preservation in like a dim- the diminished life of like being an alcoholic priest, um, right? That, that he's experiencing. Although now I'm also thinking about with my rampant love of uh, true crime, of, as you know, yeah. um, this is ter- connecting back to Kurtwell. Mm. A terrible connection about Gutierrez. Does, is this are the stuffed animals? Like souvenirs of children that he's assaulted. Ooh, I don't know. I don't want that to be true. That's a prediction I would like to have not be real. Okay. Um, because I'm thinking about how a lot of times yeah. people collect souvenirs about their victims. Mm-hmm. He's one of the more I think emotionally poignant in an almost realer way figure. Like okay. Lenny is so um, like larger than life to be very cliched about it, mm-hmm. um, and like he is literally an agent of you know, God's primary sovereign and agent. Right. Right. Um, but, like, Gutierrez, I think, is one of the more relatable sad characters. We had a lot of sad boys. Right, um, so many sad as, boys. This as episode. a devoted sad boy myself, <laughs> game recognized game. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the game recognized game. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, Voyello is also causing trouble sure. in this episode as a sad boy. Um, <laughs> he gets called, he gets majorly called out by Sister Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting that he chooses the stuffed deer of all of Gutierrez's yeah. um, many um, critters. Like doubling down on the innocence is what you're thinking? That was what I thought. Because yeah. at first I was like, I, I had to like pause and be like, is that like a Bambi? Or it's not. It's, I think, just a regular deer. Um <laughs> Um, and so I was and like, and or like Gutierrez is the deer in the headlights, right? That, right. So that's why I was. It was interesting choice, um, but he's also like currently like his actions with Gutierrez is like his one like thing that he does. He does. Yes. Otherwise, he is a man who has nothing on his to do list, and he's not happy about it. Yeah. No power plays except for one against somebody who is like less powerful in the church right. hierarchy. Yep. I.e. Gutierrez. Yes. Um, so he's definitely very flustered, does not know what to do, um, and he can't do any of the lifting of God, I guess. No. No. He's, like, totally unmoored from a sense of what normally works for him 
And as we discussed earlier, like he's much more interested in the maintenance and preservation and accumulation of power than necessarily other Mm -hmm. goals, except the like perpetuation of the church as he understands it and as it works for him. Right. Um, Although there's like a certain, you know, and this is the sadness that that speaks to me about many of the characters in this show um, that like. There's the moments of self-reflection or self-awareness that Boyello has, right? It's like he, you know, admits that he's would not be Pope, right? Mm, like right. that his whole like uh, demeanor, his whole like comportment is being in the world and being in the Vatican is antithetical to what he thinks is needed in a Pope. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So he recognizes that on the one on the one hand, he like loves the power and the opulence and the wealth and the position and people being scared of him and all of that. But there's a certain sense of like his own fragility, which like God's weight is fragile. Um, that I think, you know, and this is a comparison between he and Lenny. They both want to use the structures and strictures of the church to, uh, wall off that like self fragility. Right. Well, and especially here with his emphasis with like the little boy who's, I think must be like his housekeeper's son yeah. or something. He, we see his emphasis, emphasis on titles on Mm. names and protocols Mm -hmm. he says excellence is for your mother you must address me as eminence um and he um really exercises his value in these things in just the same ways that lenny always does um so they're maybe not so different Mm -hmm. in some ways Mm -hmm. um but i also think it's interesting that he does admit to other folks that he didn't manipulate for the election as we discussed earlier but then tells lenny that he did manipulate it so that lenny would win right why do you think he does that um i think to sow some self-doubt in lenny which i think he's figured out some of lenny's weaknesses which is that Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think um voyello is not a fool um in any ways he's just a a goofy man um (laughs) he sure is He's got some some hobbies um, and some interests. Um, so I think he does this to undermine Lenny. Yeah. Um, and then he's trying also to figure out Sister Mary, but she's the one who figures him right on out in this episode and really is like, what are we supposed to do? Feel bad for you because you take care of this disabled child? Like, what are you doing about this? Mm-hmm. And she gives him the third degree in some yeah. ways. Um, that is, there's an element though of care or love or like pastoral right. care of him in that yeah. moment too, because she recognizes the meaning of that act in general and the meaning of that care for Voyello, mm-hmm. right, of this disabled person. But like, that's in the context you point out of like her reading him for his like, what you hate, your 6,500 right. square foot um, opulent apartment with all these paintings and tapestries and such. Right. Um, but a very funny episode yeah. overall. Yeah. This, <laughs> and again, this is, I, this is one of the things I love the most about the show is that it's incredibly, like, I think it's a very emotionally moving show as mm-hmm. as I am from Catholicism. And this is, I think one of its great accomplishments is mm-hmm. that it, you don't have to be Catholic to, uh, engage and feel alongside and feel with the, these figures of church hierarchy. Right. Um, and then I also love the show because it's really fucking hilarious. It, yes. What, what are some of your favorite hilarious moments? <laughs> Lenny lines, Lenny activities, um, actions. Just, things that just I, like, like there's things. been a lot of, like, goofy physical humor yes, in this episode. Yes, there's a lot of physical comedy. Right, a lot of physical episode. comedy in this episode. So, um, no, the number one being Lenny fainting and then <laughs> Esther... 
tries to also fall, trying to keep her back up. <laughs> Esther also has unfortunately falls down while roller skating with the children again at the helicopter pad. Um, I do at, while she's looking back at Lenny, right? And so she's like right. roller skating, looks at Lenny, and then like does a really funny pratfall. It's right, like, it's a pretty very funny. good moment. Yeah, um, and then like tries to recoup beautifully. Um, Gutierrez's stuffed animals were initially quite funny to me, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> my opinions changed in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, Lenny has some good ones. Uh, The praying with the cigarette going was a, you know, just always striking the crucifix pose. I'm suffering so much for you, God, carrying your weight, but I can't carry it. Yeah. We have many Um, lung cancer kings in this show, right? So many. Yeah. So many. Yeah. Um, Makes me glad that I quit smoking. (laughs) We have his line about baptism. baptism, Yes. Right? So Waylo informs him that there are 90 children from all over Europe that have come to be baptized. And he says, oh, this is going to be torture. Right. Baptism is the worst. (laughs) I mean... As someone who recently saw a very funny video of a baby being baptized in which the baby slipped right out of the priest's hands and went across the font. Oh, no. That's so funny, but also fucking terrifying. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's like has to be traumatizing for that barely conscious brain, uh, right? Oh my That's, god! But, you know, babies are made of rubber and they do recover quickly. Yeah, good for them. Um, They're more resilient than these fucking priests out here, right? See, it also reminded me of one of my favorite books as a youth, in which um, the main character's grandfather describes um, being baptized finally by a Baptist preacher um, who can be married, unlike um, Catholic priests, and he gets baptized in a river by this Baptist preacher who daughter he happens to be dating and so he gets sunk under the water in the river and he feels like he's staying under a little too long so he bikes the priest's hand (laughs) (laughs) which I just think is um, also hilarious baptism I think is the sacrament that allows for like the funniest of things to happen mostly because there are unpredictable tiny drunken adults involved yeah yeah I can't quite see the same level of possible humor and hijinks with the other sacraments. I mean, only weddings would top it. Yeah. I think just because there's actual drunk adults at those. Yeah, but like usually, you know, if you're doing the Catholic ceremony before, like more people are like relatively chill and yes. then it's raging yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely some good um, baptism yeah. opportunities. And then the way Ella, like jokes back, this is one of the time ones where he tries to find some bit of food. Right. He's like, well, the Catholic Church does consider baptism to be very important or whatever it is yes. that he says. Um, um, the exchange with Voyello about Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, Voyello has a very good line, right? He says, you know, you may be as handsome as Jesus, but you're not Jesus. To which Lenny responds, I'm more handsome than Jesus. <laughs> and you know what? Neither of them wrong. I have never seen the face of Jesus. I cannot yeah. compare. Yeah. But, like, choose your uh, rendering either more or less historically accurate of Jesus. Right. Like, Juba is hotter. Sorry. Not sorry. That's fair. Unless... Uh, in- yeah, I don't know. The only person I think who's hotter than um, Jude Law is Tom Middleston. I don't think Jesus and Tom Middleston have the same face. <laughs> they don't. Mind it is, uh, is our boy Jude. Um, no. All right, so we got the Ketchikan Alaska line we talked about. We got Lenny's juggling. The juggling. Like, Jude Law actually juggles, right? Like, I guess. Juggling these oranges. Um, I guess. After they really enjoyed the like, fresh squeezed, squeezed orange juice by right. the sisters. Um, so that was, that was quite interesting. And like... 
as is typical for the show, and I'm probably like at root, this is the thing I love the most about it, or like just like the many flourishes that right. don't have to be there. Did you have any in particular that you enjoyed? Um, I just think seeing the Vatican through Esther's eyes is really interesting. Other flourishes that I enjoyed, like the kangaroo makes an appearance. Yes. A very brief appearance. <laughs> Lenny's walking around smoking in night at night in the gardens of the Vatican, and like the kangaroo appears like next to a hedge at a distance, and then Lenny's like, wait a second, is that real? And looks back and the kangaroo's gone. But like the kangaroo is real, right? There's in the world. He wanted of the show, it to be in the papal gardens. Yes, there is a kangaroo in the papal gardens, but there's also the like surreality of does it actually exist? Is it actually right. um, there or not that's there? Um, there's like the stars at the start of the right. episode, right? So this is the second time that we have Lenny and Tommaso on the roof of the Vatican at night looking up at the stars, and like you're in Vatican City in Rome. There's no way you can see the stars, like the stars that they that they f- show for the, the mm-hmm. you know, on the screen is... Like, they they would not be so vivid yeah, in a major in middle, metropolitan area. If you're in the middle of nowhere, you see that many stars. And right. Like, maybe you get like a few, um, like not even a constellation right. if you're actually right. in yeah, yeah. So that kind of embellishment, I think, is just is like testifies to the way the show is trying to be visually interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also enjoyed um, the tracking shot of um, a more homage to Spike Lee yeah. of like only seeing people from the waist up mm. of the tracking shot of uh, Lenny looking at Esther um, shot yes. beautifully. Yeah. Um, and throughout the episode, especially when they're like arguing in the papal like receiving room or whatever, um, like people's glances and the way that the that they're filming people glancing at one another either in like conspiratorial nature or like did that really just happen did he really Mm -hmm. just say that or like furtively glancing that's i think is really beautiful right um but like the thing that i think is my favorite flourish in this episode is at the end of the episode we have um lenny and we have gutierrez in the garden um and they're talking and they're conversing or whatever some bird song in the background and then instead of like fading to black and doing the credits, mm-hmm. they just have the credits running. Right. The dialogue has stopped, but the ambient noise of the birds, of the garden, of quote unquote nature is still there. Um, and there's just like this slow zoom out, and then the camera moves a little bit to like go kind of to the reverse um, of them at 1.2, which I just thought was like a really beautiful touch and the, a show that is funny and that is confrontational. It's like still leaving open the possibility of ending on almost a more contemplative note mm-hmm. that really spoke to me. Time to keep moving on? <laughs> I guess. All right. We got potpourri. Uh, potpourri. Right. So I apparently have to say twice every time because I screwed up the first time. It's okay. Uh, what do we have this week? Um, we're definitely seeing a lot of opulence. Yes. Um, so much. The opulence of the Catholic Church. Um just, you know, what, what tastemakers the Catholic Church <laughs> has been, um, especially with Voyello's apartments. The in, it's just interesting to me how much the Catholic Church, like, places importance on objects. Yeah. Um, but Voyello doesn't place value on the objects you think he would, like, maybe, like, a beautiful rosary or something like that. Nope, it's that fancy carpet. Yes, uh, um, loves the carpet. Um, I also think some other um, potpourri, um, Lenny insists that they all read his, um, all of his, all of the papal titles, all eight of them. Yeah. Do you have a favorite of the papal titles? We're looking at the list um, now. What's your own? I know what my favorite is, so I would, mine I would is, go first. Um, I mean, I'm quite fond of the first four, really. Okay. Um, I, but I would say my favorite is um, 
successor of the Prince of the Apostles. Like, that's like, it's the bougiest of them all. <laughs> Mine is, of course, the most political science of them all, which is uh, Sovereign of the Vatican City State. Okay. I also think Primate of Italy is a good one. I mean, Vicar of Jesus, like, that's... That's, my, that's, that's like that's my the, same... Oof, yeah. Right? Vicar of Jesus Christ is, is definitely a good one. All right. Um, we get some updates on the papal tiara. Yes, it's coming in from Washington. Yeah. Um, they've, they've secured it. Um, Any predictions about what happens when it finally arrives? I bet Lenny's going to drop it. <laughs> that would be a good physical comedy moment if that It would be great. Um, Voyle's line about the baptism being the worst sacrament, yeah. um, as described. It, so many shenanigans could happen at <laughs> baptism. Um, so many, so many, so many. Speaking of sacraments, we're going to introduce a new segment. A mini, we, a mini, mini segment, segment. Right, right. That we kind of hit on last time, which Regan, I think, correctly identified as something we should do every episode, and that is in the eternal mystery quest of what my confirmation <laughs> yes. name is, we're going to look up a random saint, whoever first comes to Regan's memory. We're going to list out some of the things they are patron saint of, and then we're going to riff. Yeah? Yep. Alright, so today Regan has chosen Saint David. Yes. Uh, would you like to tell us what Saint David is? Um, so, I picked Saint David just because I was um, doing some reading about um, George the Sixth of England, and how he has many middle names, including all four patron saints of... Uh, the various nations that make up the make up Great Britain. Um, so I picked St. David, who is the patron saint of Wales, um, specifically Pembrokeshire, um, Nas, but also vegetarians and poets, right. which I think is accurate for John, as John is a vegetarian. And not a poet. But not a poet. Not a poet. But you like poetic things. I do. I do. Um, I don't know. I think St. David, great pick. Um, yeah. You know, Wales continues to fight for its independence from Great Britain. Yeah. Um, you know. Some, I mean, I think Scotland, right? They're, they're going to be the first ones. Oh. I mean, the whole Nicola Sturgeon thing is a yeah. is an obstacle to that. No, maybe. Wales. So do you feel like Saint? maybe you had picked St. David for your... Would you do that? Um, if I was getting confirmed now, yeah. he's a, he's a viable possibility. Viable I want to explore some other options. Okay, better the rest than St. Anthony. I don't know. There were some parts about St. Anthony that really, <laughs> really spoke to me um, last week. So they're, they're, they're neck and neck at the moment. Okay. We get in this episode for the first time in episode three, not in episode one, episode right. two, but episode three, we get the title sequence yes. to the young pope, the iconic title sequence to the young pope. How would you describe it? Um... Be the Catholic Church you want to see in the world. <laughs> like this, it, it's interesting because as we, it, it obviously takes Lenny and like the viewer um, on this journey um, through like art. Um, yes. Speaking of like objects and opulence, right? Yes. Um, I mean, if you want to go see some cool art, the Vatican's got it. <laughs> Stole it from everywhere. Yep. Um, yeah, but all of the images as Lenny walks across. Right. Um, they like come alive, right? They yes. they're animated paintings, yeah. which is ironic considering that Lenny is like deadening the church mm-hmm. and de-emphasizing imagery is right. essential to the church. But then the like, title sequences let us not only like use a lot of imagery of like famous paintings and related to Catholicism, but like animate them so the fireball comes and like obliterates right. God's enemies in one of them. Yes. Um, which I think is just interesting. It's also interesting to take us because it also takes us through a journey of what Catholicism yes. has um, done to the world yes. and like 
that it has been a tastemaker for many years. Um, but also a force of violence. Like, there's right. battles or there is, like, violence against an individual yep. either visited by Catholics or visited upon Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I liked the title sequence. I liked the song playing under yeah. it. I was it's like, an instrumental of right. all along the Watchtower. Yep. Definitely made me go, like, whip my head around um, um, and pay a little more attention um, when it started. Because I also wasn't anticipating a title sequence. Yeah. Um, so I'm a fan. Two key elements of the title sequence we haven't discussed. One is after Jude walks across as Bo Blenny, um, he's just looking straight ahead, walking slowly, like officiously. Right. Um, and then as he passes all of the paintings, he like does a slight turn to the camera and like winks yes. um, at the viewer, which kind of tells you all you need to know about this show. Mm, yeah. Um, and that it is so tongue in cheek about Catholicism for yeah. sure. Um, I'm still not sure if this show is criticizing it or um, glamorizing it. Why not both? But right, <laughs> <laughs> probably both. And then, which I have to assume is uh, your favorite moment of the title sequence, where a meteor uh, comes from the sky and obliterates a statue of JP two. I'm ass- we're I'm, we're supposed I'm to meet the predecessor. JP2? Yeah. Um, well, they never, because the show has yet to tell us who the predecessor was. Right. So maybe we have to assume it's JP2. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would say that's my favorite part, but it's definitely <laughs> a good one. It's that's a good one. Up there. All right. Now, as you uh, want to emphasize as well, the title sequence also opens, transitions us from potpourri into right. the world's favorite podcast segment. Right. The hot priest, hot hot priest, priest rating. rating. Oh, my God. I love hot priest rating. Let's go. What um, do we got? All right. So because of the title sequence, um, I am rating the hot priest rating as uh, being Lord Alfred Douglas, the glamorous young lover from uh, the movie Wild, um, which is a biopic where Stephen Fry plays uh, Oscar Wilde. Um, that's where I'm rating him in his hotness scale, which is like, you know, probably it's like definitely above Dan and closer um, and above Alfie, but um, not nearly as high up as um, as Graham. It's yeah. you know, maybe like a seven. I think like dandy Jude is yeah. less of my favorite Jude okay. okay. So like I would put Jude and closer above Jude here. Okay. Interesting. Controversial opinion. I mean, but. Have you seen the tuxedo photos? Okay, the tuxedo is amazing. <laughs> the, the multiple outfits were it's on the Google image search okay. screen um, of Jibla's Alfred Douglas right here. Like, the outfits are incredible. Okay. Um, but, but that man wears clothes. Clothes don't wear him. Mm-hmm. That's for damn sure. Um, this, like, peachish uh, vest is, is really working. So I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm underestimating this particular hot priest rating, okay. which is my fallibility Fair. in in the world. With that, are we moving to the cave? We're moving to the cave. All right. So we have, as always, our new favorite uh, segment about Aquinas every single week. But we get a little bonus here. So here we're in uh, the Summa One A Two A E Ninety One, and here's our line. And this is Aquinas quoting our good friend, Augustine. And so Augustine says that, quote, the promises of temporal goods are contained in the Old Testament, and that is why it is called old. But the promise of eternal life belongs to the New Testament, end quote. 
What do you want to do with that? We have New Testament, Old Testament. We have right. uh, temporal goods versus <clears throat> eternal life. Interesting. How do you want to? How do you want to work this back to um, our episode here? Well, I do think um, one thing is that um, Lenny is an Old Testament he pope, sure fucking is, uh, and not a New Testament pope, yeah. um, unlike current Pope Pope yeah. Frankie. Um, I would definitely say that um, you know uh, had. I'm sure Lenny has read Aquinas um, and uh, and Augustine. Yeah, no doubt. I think he would probably be like, ah, yes, the Old Testament is where everything is at. (laughs) Um, And then, but also the point about the temporal. And the eternal. And the eternal. Hmm. Hmm. I got a two on that. Lenny's kind of mixing those two, right? Or at least that's kind of Spencer's accusation is that what Lenny wants to make into an eternal rule of God is in fact him dealing with his temporal world bullshit Mm. and like demons, emotional familial kinship demons. Right. So I think there's a little bit of that that's happening, but yeah, I think like Lenny's God is the old Testament God in the kind of cliched sense, right? Right. Mystery, uh, punishing, severe, Mm -hmm. harsh, strict, Mm -hmm. Uh, inaccessible, right, in all of these things, as right. opposed to the slightly more touchy-feely New Testament. Okay, so the promises of temporal goods, though, in some ways, do give us eternal life. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this. So, the only reason we know the Vil- the Venus of Willendorf exists is because she was a temporal object that has managed to make it <laughs> um, until now. Right, hearkening back to episode one with the Venus of Willendorf. Okay. However, Lenny is not leaving any objects for him to gain some sort of eternal life Mm. with the people because Mm. he will not, you know, put his face on a plate as Sophia begs him to do. (laughs) He will not put, go, he won't, he's not leaving any markers on the material culture of Catholicism. So he's not even going to be, so this is how he's not going to get his eternal life. Yeah. I don't know. I had to really think on that one. I love it. I, love it. I think that's a great place to, to shift over into yes. theory ship land. <laughs> Regan, you've got quite the theory ship planned for oh. us and for Lenny and for our listeners. So let's hear it. <laughs> um, so I um, would assign Lenny to read um, classic second wave feminist <laughs> theorist uh, Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique Great. because um, I really just need him to see women as people and not as um, mothers and caregivers who abandon him <laughs> because sometimes women have their own agencies and need mm-hmm. to do things for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so very basic um, read of, of some basic yeah. feminism for Lenny. Yeah, Lenny like could use some thinking about the problem. That, he loves mysteries, so the right. problem that has no name maybe would be right. a good one for him to actually consider. Yep. For a little while. Yep. Can I offer mine? Yes. All right. Surprising no one uh, in an episode <laughs> that invokes, where Lenny has his to marry, invoke his role as sovereign of Vatican City. I think that Lenny could use some work with Hobbes and Agamben on sovereignty. Ah. Um, I'm thinking about Hobbes, particularly in Leviathan, like book two of Leviathan compared to book four of Leviathan, where in book four, and this is actually a shout out to, uh, to well, not your friend, but like in absentia, your friend, uh, John Keller, but my dear friend and friend <laughs> of the pod, John Keller, who has some um, interesting like reads on Hobbes on, um, on God and Hobbes on religion at the end of the Leviathan, which no one actually reads as he points out uh, correctly. But like, 
some of Agam, some of some of Hobbes' most beautiful writing is actually in the parts of Leviathan that no one reads. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes some of the parts when he's talking about like working through a bunch of scriptures to try to f- reconcile his theory of going back to like the Aquinas quote we read, like temporal sovereignty with regards to like the eternal sovereignty of God or whatever. Um, so we got that for Lenny. Then also Agamben um, to Lenny, like just because uh, Danielle and I have been writing a shit ton about Agamben um, over the past couple of weeks. And like, if you're thinking about sovereignty, you gotta, you gotta bring in some Agamben and like Agamben loves reading, you know, uh, like Roman histories and like doing some like Latin etymology to explain political sovereignty and I think that appeal that that would appeal to Lenny. Okay. Yeah. Um I love how you're talking to me about Hobbes as if I know anything about Hobbes other than that is how the tiger and Calvin and Hobbes got his name is after <laughs> the, the philosopher Hobbes. Yeah. Um, you know my favorite Hobbes fun fact? Sure. <laughs> as if I'm going to give you a real choice. Um, <laughs> true Leviathan style. Um, he played tennis weekly until he was like 87 years old. Good for him. Yeah. In the 17th century. So like, he just lived for fucking ever. Yeah. Um, like, I don't need to live that long. <laughs> Noted as your emergency contact. <laughs> and here he is in the, in the 17th century playing tennis. Um, for a very long time. So shouts to Tommy Hobbs. There, good for him. Good yeah. for him. All right, what a note to end on. Glorious right. episode. <laughs> um, we, got, we got into a lot of deep stuff about, about this. We did some good thematic reads. Uh, you read some symbols for us, which is important because that's not something I'm necessarily capable of. So okay. we appreciate that. So You've other you. skills. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Um, I just did my white man with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to Regan for this young Pope journey that she's joined us for uh thanks to danielle of course thanks as always to producer amy Uh, until next time hope you have enjoyed not quite great books a tv podcast yes joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball. Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me on the other line, she reiterates her infallibility in the face of our own human fallibility. It's Regan Levin. Regan, thank you for joining us again on Not Quite Great Books. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, take two. Three, two, one. All right, take three. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me in the other line, she picks up dates with her juggling skills, and that's not a euphemism. It's Regan Levitt. <laughs> Thank you, Regan, for joining us yet again for a Not Quite Great Books podcast. And not even on the other line, actually, in studio. Fair. I'm just so I'm just so used to it. Um, in fairness. To-